Hello, this is Aaron, and welcome back to the podcast. Again, I'm not really recording this on the normal schedule this week. I'm recording this several days early because I've got a stretch of four different presentations to give in five uh, days in two different cities. So I'm going to be on the road, but I want to be able to get up the podcast uh, for you on Monday as scheduled. So here I am on Wednesday actually recording this. So I'll say Happy New Year to everyone. I hope you had a Happy New Year, even though it is actually before New Year's today. But because it is the new year, I wanted to have another topic that could be practical for us in thinking about what we do over the course of the next uh, year, 2022. I was thinking about this in terms of last week's podcast about passing on our patrimony and teaching our kids patriotic songs. This week, a different topic. And this is actually a question uh, that someone had sent me and suggested I do a podcast on. Uh, back last year, I interviewed John Moody uh, and Rory Groves about essentially homesteading, rural homesteading. Rory's take wasn't entirely about rural homesteading, but you can tell that he sort of has that orientation. And so the question I got is, Aaron, you should do a podcast on how we create essentially homesteads in the city or a productive household in the city. And the reality is most of us do not live on farms, okay? We live in an urban or a suburban environment. So how do we think about a productive household in that regard? So I want to share a few thoughts today, and then you can maybe put these into practice this year if you think that they're good. And you know, there are some actual homesteading type things that you can do in the city even. For example, you could plant a garden. Uh, you could have backyard chickens. You can compost. There's a lot you can do to have essentially a rural type productivity in a city. Now, am I an expert on uh, urban gardening in your backyard? I am not. I've never had backyard chickens, so I'm not going to talk about that. But you can easily find a lot about that online if you're interested. What I want to talk is about some things that I did that made my household more productive. And this was, in essence, simple insourcing. One of the things that we've done over the course of the last couple of decades, three decades, is that more and more of our lives are outsourced. Now, this is clearly much more prevalent at higher income uh, levels. That doesn't mean millionaire levels. I mean, just someone with, say, a professional income college degree level. It's more common there than it is at lower levels. But I think even lower income people now um, outsource a lot of things that we would have previously done. And so in essence, just by doing for ourselves things that we're paying other people to do today, we are making our household more productive in a sense. We are, that is to say, we are producing more things in our home and transacting less with the marketplace. And so do we necessarily have to do that? I'm not saying you do, but if it's something you do, uh, you might want to take it on. Now, some of this for me was a case of sort of necessity is the mother of invention. I cut back on some of the things I was outsourcing at a time when my income went down a lot. And so I'm like, well, I better cut back. Uh, but there are other things that I've made conscious choices. I just want to share a few things that you can do uh, to start doing things at home uh, and start not people to do them. The first one is just to cook your own meals. Stop eating out. Stop doing DoorDash. Stop ordering the pizza. All that stuff. You know, when I was a kid in the 80s, almost nobody went out to restaurants 
uh, very often. You know, if you were from a, you know, more middle class, you know, doing better family, maybe you, you know, you, you were union Ford worker or something like that. Maybe you went out to a restaurant once a week. Most people ate at home, right? People cooked their own meals. People did not go out to restaurants and order food like they do today. I mean, we, we go out to eat way, way, way more uh, than people used to do uh, back then. So just by cooking our own meals, uh, that is one way for us to make our household um, more productive. And that's something I've been doing for a long time. For one thing, I wanted to be able to have much more control over what I ate. I really wanted to eat healthy, eat clean, as they say. I was trying to refactor my diet. And one way to do that is to make sure I do the food shopping and I do the cooking. And so I started doing that many years ago. Now that uh, we are you know, married, my wife does most of the cooking. You know, I, I cook a little bit too. I can cook. Uh, but we, know we make most of our meals at home. That's not to say we never go out to eat. You know, we do sometimes. But most of our meals are cooked at home. And yes, uh, if you are a single mother uh, who works, it is going to be more challenging to do that. Now, it's not everybody's in a situation where it's as easy to cook. But you know what? I was raised by a single mom. She had a job. And she cooked dinner every night. We were not going out to eat every night. So I know if, you know, if my mom could do it, I think it's very doable. I think it's very doable. We can start cooking at home. Secondly, uh, again, just another thing we could do, we could clean our own house. I mean, I'd say a huge share of sort of upper middle class people have a cleaning service to clean their house. Um, you know, I used to do that. I mean, I had people clean my house for years uh, going back into the 1990s. And again, this is one of the things I cut out um, at the time that my income went down, but it's something I've never come back. I could probably, you know, say, well, if I really wanted to splurge and, and have somebody come in periodically and clean our house, we could do that. I don't want to do that. And I'll tell you more about why I don't want to do it. But basically, um, you know, we clean our own house. And actually, I do a lot of it. Like every Saturday morning, I just kind of go through and do kind of thorough house cleaning. Uh, that's one. You know, just another one uh, was uh, ironing my own shirts. You know, when I... Uh, went to Chicago. I was in the business world. I used to just take all my shirts to the dry cleaner. It was like a buck for a shirt. And, you know, they, they launder it. They press it. It's great. You have to do anything. And actually, you know what? Now, dry cleaning's got a lot more expensive. And particularly here in Indianapolis, it's actually expensive even to just have your shirts laundered. And there aren't dry cleaners on every corner like there are in New York or Chicago. So it's kind of a pain to take it in. And this is, again, something. this is something that I started doing probably 15-plus years ago. Uh, when I actually got some nicer shirts, uh, and I'm like, wow, I want these shirts to last. So I sort of hand washed them, laid them to dry, and ironed them myself. It actually did make the shirts last a very long time. Uh, those actually, although they were the most expensive shirts I ever bought, they probably turned out to be the cheapest shirts I ever bought on a price-per-wear basis. Again, going back to my idea of uh, barbell purchasing, where the barbell here is, you know, two extremes, not the middle. Buying the absolute best uh, actually can be cheaper on a price-per-use basis because it lasts long if you know what you're actually doing. Otherwise, maybe you're better off getting the cheapest because the stuff in the middle is quite often uh, not that great uh, on a price-performance basis. But nevertheless, I still iron my own shirts. Launder them at home, iron my own shirts. I don't need to take those into the dry cleaner. Again, a lot of people today pay a landscaping service to mow your grass. You could mow your own grass. You could take care of your own yard. Now, again, it's a little easy for me because I have a very small yard. And in fact, I don't even have a power mower. I've got one of those little whirly blade things, the manual ones that are unpowered. You just push them and they spin around. 
and cuts them. I do have a, a gas-powered uh, weed whacker, uh, so I use that. But I take care of the yard, and so uh, I don't pay people to do the yard. Uh, some of you might even cut your own hair. You know, when I started losing my hair and decided to, uh, you know, I couldn't part the hair on the side anymore. It was getting a little too crazy. This was in my 20s. I started losing my hair very young. Um, you know, I, I went with a clipper. So I'm going to the barber shop and getting the clipper cut. And then I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to invest in a set of clippers. So I got a pair of clippers and I cut my own hair at home um, for quite a while. And then I got kind of tired of that and I went back to it. But then, you know, I decided to go slick and now I just shave it so I don't actually ever have to incur any barbershop expenses. Uh, it's very easy for me to uh, take care of my own head every couple days uh, with a razor and some shaving cream. Now, again, if not all guys uh, probably would be advised to cut their own hair. But if, like me, you're one of the guys who's uh, maybe, uh, you know, losing it a little bit, shall we say, uh, maybe it's something you could do for yourself. Uh Another thing, you know, just around the house, uh, you know, John Moody mentioned this one, is that you could make your own household cleaners. And I mentioned this to my wife, and she said, yeah, a lot of her friends, especially ones with big families, you know, they're, they're looking to save money, they make almost all their own household cleaners. And I've never done this, and it's actually something, you know, I want to look into. Maybe I could, you know, make my own pine saw or something, make my own Windex. I don't have to buy that stuff, or especially the all-purpose cleaner that you can use on the kitchen countertops and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm going to look into that and say, hey, is this something I could do? And then I think for the guys, the other thing you do is you could just do your own home repairs. Um, again, my dad could literally build an entire house by himself. I think every single task you need to do to be able to build a house, he knows how to do. In fact, he he was a carpenter uh, briefly in the 70s, and then later he, he had a period where he was a construction superintendent uh, working for home builders. And so he knows all about that. But for some reason, I never learned how to do anything. I mean, I could change a light bulb. That was about it. And now I've started trying to do my own small repairs around the house. I really am very hesitant to try to do anything with plumbing, you know, or electrical. Uh, that would be, uh, you know might cause a problem let's say if it's done done wrong if if i tried to swap out a faucet or something like that i probably wouldn't be able to sleep at night uh, but there are little things you know that i do uh you know i put a new hinge uh on this uh, closet door that wasn't working well you know i'll clean out drains and things like that i've you know i've definitely uh augured out some drains cleaned out p-traps little things like that. i mean again small tiny things i'm not claiming to be anything remotely like a handyman but just now, I think, can I do this myself? And if I do, I do it because I actually want to be building those skills in my life. And in fact, I actually rent. I mean, I would be perfectly entitled to just submit a maintenance request to the landlord uh, and make them take care of everything. But in, in this case, I actually kind of like to do it myself sometimes. I feel like I'm learning things and I'm gain, gaining good skills. I mean, there are things I don't do myself or I feel like I'm if I'm not really not qualified, I'm really not going to be able to do it, then I'm not going to do it. But I, you know, I'm willing to, to take some chances on some things now. That's that's kind of great. So people always say, well, Aaron, what you don't understand, okay, is the reason that you outsource is you got you to read your Adam Smith. We get productive by specializing and then engaging in trade. So by paying people to, uh, you know, do my laundry for me, paying people to do clean my house, paying people to mow my grass, paying people to pay me, uh, that's much more efficient. They specialize in that. It's lower cost. It's comparative advantage. 
And then I specialize in all these high value productive activities. It frees up so much of this time for me to be so much more productive, et cetera. And you know, if that's really true for you, then go for it. But you know what I've kind of discovered is the truth is, if I weren't spending Saturday morning cleaning my house, am I going to be doing something that's making me more money? Am I going to be richer somehow because I put that to good use, right? Probably not. Well, let's be honest, right? I'm probably just going to be spending a little more time reading the newspaper or something, which, hey, if you want more leisure, you can. Again, I'm not treating any of this stuff as if it's some moral you know, imperative for you to start doing this stuff at home. You know, make whatever choices you want. I'm saying this stuff because I was asked about it and because these are some of the things that I was doing to try to insource more productivity into my household and stop paying people to do things. And by the way, it can actually reduce your expenses um, over time. Now, there is one kind of, I would say, moral dimension to this. And the moral dimension is that many of these people that we're outsourcing to are, in essence, exploited labor. You know, a lot of the reasons that people have the cleaning services, a lot of the reasons that people have the landscaping today is because there's an exploited immigrant who's not being paid a living wage doing that job. You know, the cleaning service that I had in Chicago, you know, I think back about this, never occurred to me at the time. I'm like, wait a minute, what's going on? It was this woman and, you know, she hired, she, she was Polish and she had all these Polish ladies, maybe illegal. I don't know if they were illegal, but they were clearly from Poland. They barely spoke English. A lot of them were older and they would like clean houses and they were clearly being paid dirt. Like she, the, the woman who was sort of the pimp, if you will, she always made sure she always got there to make sure she got the money. None of these people even knew how much money uh, she was getting paid. I know this because one time uh, one of the workers accidentally did find out how much we were paying. And she was like very upset because she's like, wait a minute, I'm getting totally exploited here, which is true. So I do think uh, we have to think about, uh, you know, the exploited labor that we're using for our own conveniences. And again, in this world, it's never going to be possible to fully detach ourselves from certain exploitative elements of the modern globalized economy. But what I can say uh, is we should be thinking about it. We should be thinking about it. And yeah, you know what? I would probably feel differently. If there was a next door neighbor with a teenage kid who wanted to make some money mowing grass, maybe that's somebody I would think about hiring to mow my yard because that's someone that I really want to support, you know, it's going in their pocket. You know, I would look at it, but like, I'm just going to pay some company that may be using illegal immigrant labor that they're exploiting. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you any questions because I don't want to know about that uh, because I don't want to mow my grass. I don't know about that. And again, if you're rich, you know, if you're very, if you're higher income, then you can very easily afford to pay people a living wage, uh, you know, and pay all the taxes and all that stuff to do things. It's when you start getting down to these middle class areas that people start to get, you know, again, more exploitative. I mentioned, you know, in the city, all these people in the Upper West Side of New York that I knew, you know, all almost all of them were hiring uh, kind of nannies, immigrant nannies, cash under the table. They weren't paying the Social Security tax. They weren't paying, you know, any of the things, no benefits, no nothing, because they couldn't afford it. They couldn't afford it. They were just sort of squeezing by, even though they had sort of high income. So I do think we ought to be aware of the labor exploitation angle. And I think we ought to be wary of rationalizing this idea that if we pay people to do things that we'll be so much more productive or we'll spend so much more time with our kids. In my experience, that just hasn't been the case. But again, it's not a moral imperative. 
you can do what you want. So I think that this idea of insourcing, figuring out the things that you're paying other people to do and saying, how can I not pay people to do that and start doing it myself is one way to think about making your household more productive if that's something you want to do and kind of detaching yourself a little bit from uh, this sort of transactional economy uh, that we have. The other thing you can do uh, to essentially be productive in your uh, kind of urban household is really make a practice of hospitality. You know, invite people into your home for dinner. And one of the things that this really does is gives you the opportunity to showcase the way that you live with your life, the way that you are living kind of in a countercultural way uh, to society. You know, I, I've mentioned before, I think, in a podcast that my wife and I used to like to do this in New York. You know, we would invite people over to our house for dinner, you know, from church. Again, we had a small place. You know, we had a we have a table that essentially seats two, right? You could maybe get three people on. It was kind of ridiculous. But, you know, we're, you know, this married couple. We're cooking at home. You know, we're building a family life that's very different from a lot of the other uh, people, many of whom are single. And so just by inviting people to come into our home and uh, to, you know, invite them into our life, they see a different way of living. And a lot of the single people we invited over, they really appreciated it because they really felt like they did not get invited uh, over to people's homes, that they were sort of excluded from some of that social life. And they were kind of craving some of that. And it, they really felt good and uh, about it. And so uh, maybe that's something you do. You know, there there are, uh, you know, it could be other married people. Maybe you can invite single people in. This one single woman uh, that we invited over from our church to come in, you know, she struck up a friendship with my wife. And ultimately, I think she decided, wait a minute, you know, I need to rethink uh, what I'm doing and, you know, the priority I put on marriage versus other things that I'm doing because she had had a, a boyfriend that she was serious with and they broke it off for various reasons she actually called him back and they ended up getting married, which is amazing. And I think about that during COVID because, uh, you know, this woman, you know, with, you know, COVID, she would have been totally up the creek in, in New York. And and now being married, I mean, I, I haven't actually talked to them. I don't know what's going on, but I think they're going to be in a much better place there. So I think hospitality is really an opportunity for you to uh, show love to other people, you know, using your home, you know, as a way to do that. Uh, and then it's a way to show that you live a different world. It's it's almost an evangelistic opportunity, and of course, it may be an opportunity to share the gospel uh, with some people as well if they're if they're non Christians. So I think this idea of hospitality. This is one that here in Indianapolis, we have actually not done as good a job as we did in New York. Uh, you know, in part because of COVID. You know, and this and that. But it's one of these. Hey, I'd like to get better uh, better at this and start inviting people over uh, more frequently throughout. Um, number 2022. So I think those are some athletes. And I want to give one more um, one more kind of caveat on this idea of, you know, doing all this stuff yourself and, um, you know, trying to insource. I think that's great. I've been doing that. But I do think you need to think about some of the things that this blogger I'd, I'd highlighted several times, the practical conservative who's a stay-at-home mom, as well as a guest commenter, Tom Addison, you know, brought up around the fact that you know, mothers of young kids, mothers of preschoolers especially, are under enormous stress. And there's this idea among a lot of conservative Christians that the mom is just supposed to do everything and 
if you hired somebody to do something with your kids, right? If you're hiring these services, uh, you're somehow betraying the authentic Christian stay-at-home mom life, right? And obviously, when you have a stay-at-home mom, it's a lot easier for her to cook or do all these other things. But I would say uh, we shouldn't be afraid to give our wives a break. And if they, you know, if we need to start paying people to do things during these times when they are really super under a lot of strain, you know, with raising these young kids, kids aren't in school yet, especially, uh, let's think about that because we don't want to, uh, you know, pile up burdens, heavy burdens so high on the people that it becomes essentially antinatalist, right? People don't want to have kids because there's too much work. Uh, I think, you know, we would want to encourage people to have more kids and if, you know, having more kids, plus you've got to, you know, cook, clean this, that, entertain, et cetera, um, you know, you don't want to you don't want to put too much pressure on your wife or, or whoever and end up crushing her uh, because of, of all this work. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I say, I don't do most of the cleaning today. I do most of this stuff myself. I actually do like, you know, once a week house cleaning, I take care of the yard. I iron my own shirts. I do a lot of it myself. And then, you know, and then it's done. You know, I, I do it. And the only person I complain about is me. And I do it the way exactly the way I want to do it as well. So I'm not just piling all this stuff uh, on my wife. So I do think we need to be cognizant maybe of the burden uh, that we, we put on our wives, especially if they have, again, young, if you have young children at home, uh, that's very difficult. We want having kids to be great, not make it, you know, some audacious task because we think we have to have this like, you know, uh, mommy blogger life uh, all the time. So those are a few ideas, a few things that you could think about. What are you doing that you're paying someone to do today that you could start doing yourself? That's the number one time, way to make your own household more productive. Now, it may well be that that's not a wise decision. Could be. This, I'm not saying this is a moral, moral thing. I'm just saying if you want to have a more productive household, this is one way to do it. And I think we should look at hospitality and just inviting people into your home, sharing your life, you know, loving them. And a lot of people are, especially in this COVID thing, man, they are uh, hurting for human contact. And especially a lot of single people. Uh, it could be great to invite them over and to let them be part of it. So think about that. Those are a few tips, and I will talk to you next week.